Welcome to The Growth Factor, a broadcast ministry of St. Mark Baptist Church. Today, as part of our family, you will experience the life-changing and spirit-nurturing Word of God. Please enjoy this time with us as we're committed to helping you grow in knowledge, grow in faith, and grow in God. St. Mark Baptist Church, you grow here. Well, welcome to the Growth Factor podcast, a broadcast ministry of the St. Mark Baptist Church here in Little Rock, Arkansas. My name is Pastor John. I'm the pastor of Assimilation here at St. Mark, and I'll serve as your co-host. And this is my co-host, our senior pastor, Dr. Philip L. Pointer, Sr. And we're just continuing our first season of the podcast in this episode, episode number three, which we have rightly titled, Stay Off the Rocks. Stay Off the Rocks. Stay off them rocks. Well, what are we talking about? We're talking about healing crystals. Mm -hmm. And this has been a practice that has increased in our culture and even in Christendom. There have been Christians who actually practice healing crystals. So we want to talk about these rocks, talk about them historically, talk about them biblically, and give you all some takeaways on this in this episode. And I really just want to start by providing folks with some history, Mm -hmm. some history around this practice of crystals, where it originated, and what it is that folks are doing today based on that history. Right. Yeah. So so what we want to do is talk about ancient Egyptians, because this is where much, much of the practice did originate, where they had these crystals, where they would anoint tombs of the dead. We talked about this before. Right. And they would w- wear these protective crystals or jewelry. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> listen, listen, that's, that has come forward. There's nothing new under the sun. We've said that throughout these, uh, this time of, of, of sharing in these episodes. Um, you know, we're talking about knockoff spirituality and what we're discovering uh, is that things that people say have been these hidden secrets rediscovered are practices that have been around a long time. They, they've never been hidden. They've never been rediscovered. Uh, people are just continuing uh, to promote them, uh, continuing to, um, to influence others to participate in these practices like crystals because it makes money. Yeah, and it wasn't anything that was unique to Egyptian culture. Even when you think about the ancient Greeks, they actually had specific uses for these crystals, right? right. So they would use this hematite as protection before battle. So they would put it on, and they thought that that crystal would yeah. protect them in battle, right? Yeah. They also had this headache medicine in the form of a crystal <laughs> called amethyst that they would actually use to fend off headaches from hangovers yeah. that they would have. So. These crystals in ancient Greek culture actually served those purposes as well to help them um, live life when they wore these crystals, somehow touching their body. Mm-hmm. Those mm-hmm. crystals actually had some type of impact or effect on them. Yeah, they, they felt like it had to be touching the skin uh, to create this energy, and, and you'll hear that a lot in, in, in its modern iterations today, um, this energy uh, to, to the crystal gives off an energy that produces some kind of positive result, um, healing physically, mentally, emotionally. Uh, that's the idea. That's the idea. And uh, it, it comes forward into what we call New Ageism. Uh, new Ageism, uh, John, is this, um, this reclaimed or, or repackaged um, version of those uh, Near East and some even Far East elements of, of faiths and religion. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that is very, very, um, uh, what, that's not understood, very misunderstood about New Ageism is that what it is really, and those of us who are, who are black in America talk about this when, when other uh, cultures or races do this to us, it's actually cultural appropriation. Mm-hmm. It's an affectation of another culture's history and heritage and beliefs. Um, and what we have done is we have Americanized it, we've Westernized it, uh, we've robbed it of its original history and use, and we've made it what we wanted it to be. Uh, and so if you're into crystals, what you probably have is a Westernized version of this, which is cultural appropriation, uh, which is offensive to those uh, who, who, for whom this is their actual history. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, you look at this, crystals have been marketing, uh, been marketed as these self-healing um, um, uh, 
processes these things that allow for self-healing. And uh, in, in 1986, there was a New York Times article, listen to this, called New Zeal for Gemstones, Real Search for the Unreal. And it, it said in, this is 1986, um, that quartz, the, one of the most popular um, rocks today, quartz, uh, was at that time worth about a dollar. Uh, but it rose to 10 to $12 because of this new age movement. Uh, this cultural appropriation of of other people's heritage and history, mm. and, and that that goes back to our point of marketability mm -hmm. and the economic impact that it has on the culture. Because, as you said, they stole this from Hindu culture. Yeah, like the whole practice is about, like you said, laying these crystals on your body, and in Hindu practice those crystals actually stimulate what are called chakras, mm -hmm. right? These are, these are inflection points or energy points, quote unquote, on your body that promote healing. So folks saw that people were looking for something yeah. and said, you know what? <laughs> we might be able to market this in our context. And then when celebrities started to pick up on it, it actually became a, a cultural phenomenon, mm -hmm. not just of new ageism, but just the culture in general. Yeah, it, it, it became popular. <laughs> it became popular and it, it coincided. The popularity of New Ageism coincided with these very public falls of Christian figures, televangelists. Um, they, they began to uh, be exposed as having these um, uh, sexual trysts or, or, or uh, promoting their uh, packaging, their their spirituality for the sake of money as well. Uh, and so when people became disillusioned um, by these um, people that proclaimed to be representatives of Jesus Christ, they said that they were, uh, they were speaking for Christ. And then when they found out that they were human, they were flawed, uh, people began to say, I'm going to turn away from organized religion into, I want to find something uh, that's self-guided, mm. something that's self-led, something that, that, I can uh, determine truth and direction internally. I'm going to turn inward uh, for that. And that's when these things became popular. Um, a handful of people would take a pilgrimage over uh, to other parts of the world, learn pieces and parts, and then co-opt it and appropriate it uh, for, for American um, and Western concepts and, and palettes. Now, you know we got some folks who are listening, and they're like, healing crystals, like, what's that? <laughs> and those are, those are different generations, right? because the disillusionment, the disillusionment actually came from younger generations. Yeah. And we saw that with the rise of what we call the nuns, mm -hmm. right? Not N-U-N-S, but N-O-N-E-S. And these are folks, according to Pew Research Studies, who are now saying that they're religiously unaffiliated. Uh, these are mostly millennials and, and younger who are saying they don't want to affiliate with the religion per se, mm -hmm. but they do want spiritual practices right so they are unaffiliated and they generally reject religious labels yes. they don't want to be known as a baptist church kid right mm -hmm. they want to be able to put together spiritual practices that form their own spirituality and that also saw this this rise of unaffiliated spirituality right so they feel like there's this sense of wonder about the universe but they can't really put their finger on it. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing. They don't feel like the church has identified or addressed it enough. So they're searching. Yes. And yes. looking for stuff. So, again, we talked about the indictment against the church. And uh, we know someone who has been with us in the past, Brianna uh, Parker, mm -hmm. has done a ton of research around black millennials yes. and understanding them. But the church itself needs to better understand these folks so that practices like this, because some of our listeners are like, we don't know what crystals are. Yeah. But we do know that folks who are listening are like, oh, yeah, I've seen this yes. or I've experienced this. So how do we address that as a church to continue to engage these folks who are looking for truth? Yeah. And, you know, one of the things we cannot do is compromise truth for the sake of of likability. And that's one of the that's one of the great uh uh, weaknesses, I believe, of our current um, Christian expression. We we want to just get along with everyone, um, but truth is confrontational in its nature. 
Jesus says in, in, in the Gospels, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword um, to, to, to put father against son and mother against daughter. And what he's talking about is where you're going to fall on the side of truth or uh, deception. Uh, you know, you talk about these nuns, John, um, and millennials are turning 40 and, and such. You know, people hear that term and they think they're all kids. No, these are adults. Um in jobs and careers and, and those kinds of things, uh, they're not the kids. The kids are another generation. Mm-hmm. But what uh, millennials and nuns began to do, as you said, is, is, is go after this self-guided um, sense of spirituality. And again, the word I keep saying in every episode is syncretism. Yeah. <laughs> so, so again, some of, some of you claim Christ and mm-hmm. still participate in things like um, of with these crystals, uh, and you think you can pull those things together, and uh, you say, "Well, there's no harm in it," and 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 you know, I, I can I believe in energy, and I can feel energy and vibes and all of those kinds of things, um, and and I want we're going to talk about that, uh, what you are actually feeling, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, uh, it, it's kind of this choose your own adventure <laughs> spirituality where you know crystals tend to be combined with like using sage, burning sage, certain candles, astrology. And again, as I said in the previous um, episodes, you can't put those things together. Mm. Mm. They actually contradict one another when you study their origins and the reality of how the cultures that invented them used them. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, you can't have crystals and saging and crystals and astrology because they they're they're contradictory yeah Yeah. and we have to be real careful about allowing trends to guide our spirituality yeah and to guide our spiritual practices just because everyone is doing it doesn't mean that we as believers have to engage in the practice because we want to be faithful to what scripture tells us about it And this is specifically and especially true of the African-American context, Mm -hmm. because a lot of folks feel like, okay, this might be part of our African heritage. And I've seen several excuses Mm -hmm. of why they do it, because they want to connect more with the motherland. Uh, For example, uh, they say that Africa has a good number of crystals in the motherland. So we got to be able to use all those crystals. I mean, it's the... It's the motherland. It's where all these crystals are. So why can't we utilize these crystals if they come from the earth, from our motherland, from where we are? Yeah. So it's the purpose of creation is to glorify God. And what crystals are, some of these elements that God has created and and materials that are on the earth are designed to be useful for our development um, uh, of, of things that make our lives more convenient, some of them are just for the sake of their beauty Mm. to reflect the glory of God. Mm. And as we've talked about in, uh, again, previous episodes, when you see the beauty of these elements, rather than think that the creation can heal you or or give you these positive vibes, Mm. let that turn you to the creator. Who, who established the beauty of these elements uh, for the sake of the aesthetic value that they bring. Some things God made just to be pretty. <laughs> you know what I mean? Some things are just for enjoyment. Uh, and these crystals and, and many of these things that, that are bright and beautiful are just that. Um, that is their use um, in the human family. And, and you know, I, I, I got to admit, uh, uh, John, that, that science proves that people who do hold crystals or some kind of a stone in their hand do have positive effects from it. Mm. Um, But it's not the rock itself. It's the concentration that the person puts. They they begin to slow down their thoughts. They begin to slow down their breathing. They begin to release stress. And there is a positive benefit just as you're focusing on an object. You could put a pencil in your hand (laughs) if you focused on it. Uh, and allow your mind to think only of what you were holding, then you would slow down. Mm. You would you would release tension and stress from your body, and you would come back saying, "Man, I got a magic pencil," mm. because every time I hold it, I feel better. Uh, that's that's what crystals have done 
uh, for some people, and that's why they say, you know, I grab it and it does do something for me. Well, it's just that you've slowed down. It's just that you've stopped the helter-skelter pace of life. Um, and, and as such, it has, it has resulted in some positive physical and psychological benefit. Yeah. yeah, here's another thing that I also uh, was able to read and heard about is that folks felt like our melanin, mm-hmm. black folks' melanin, has this special interaction with these crystals that other folks can't experience. So <laughs> our melanin is popping, and <laughs> the copper in our melanin vibes with the copper or whatever other crystal that we put on our body that causes us to have an experience that is deeply spiritual that other folks who don't have that melanin can't have. Yeah, and that's so unlike God, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> that's that God would 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 disassociate some people from these positive benefits because their ancestors happened to wander into Europe and mm. into caves at a certain period in their past. And that um that that singularity, that that superiority is wrong. Uh, that sense of superiority is wrong, um, albeit, you know, those of us who are oppressed are looking for value, looking to be affirmed, mm. looking uh, to to um, have this sense that God does care and does see our pain and know our, our pain. And so uh, we don't have to uh, demean or or down other um, uh, other races mm. to to achieve that, knowing that we're made in the image and likeness of God, uh, and the human family is made of one blood, um, the diaspora, the human diaspora spread out, and the amount of melanin in our skin is because of where our ancestors mm. stayed after the spread. Um, those who went into Europe where the sun was not as hot and melanin was not as necessary, um, it, it micro-evolved out, and they, be, they became what we call white. So, Pete, do you think some of that, though, is pushback on this narrative that they treat our melanin this way mm-hmm. in social spaces? Yeah. So now we have to swing the pendulum this way yeah. and say that we have this special Gnostic experience yes. um, that allows us to experience something because of our melanin that other folks can't. Yeah, and that's that's exactly what it is. It's, it is an overcorrection mm-hmm. of of white supremacist ideas that have permeated in the West um, that led to the Middle Passage, that led to chattel slavery, uh, that leads to injustice socially and systems uh, that hold down black and brown people. And that 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 sense is um, that sense that we must then have something more special than they have. Uh, is an overcorrection. You know, the census just came out, uh, John, and there was, I want to say the number is a 267% increase Hmm. in people who identified as multiracial. Wow. Uh, And so it has thrown off the numbers of what people considered black, white. This was the first sentence uh, census where you could identify the multiple races you identified with. Hmm. Uh, And because of that, uh, people who had their ancestry DNA stuff identified with those multiple um, places of origin mm. uh, because the truth is very few people are all African unless you are born on that continent or all European unless you're born on that continent in the U.S. When we do the <laughs> you look at the when you look at the at the at the DNA stuff, man, we're all from all over. Uh, and we really are one people out of one blood. As such, uh, if it works for the goose, it ought to work for the gander, <laughs> so to speak. Um, and and there, sh- there is no special class of, of skin that creates a greater connection to spirituality. Listen, I ain't doing my DNA test. <laughs> I ain't doing it. Oh, so, so look, there are some people who are watching, listening, tuning in, who are now looking down on their neck mm-hmm. at that birthstone, mm-hmm. and they're saying, they just messing me up right now. Yeah. Because I, I know my birthstone. I know what it means. I know what the color means. I know what that means with my birth month. 
like those things are things that are that they're holding near and dear to them. Yeah. Uh, what do you say to folks who do have stones around their necks that have significance to them? Um, how do you kind of address that with them or, or speak with them about that? Yeah, and not to be cold and callous about that because uh, we're all searching for identity and validation. And um, But the truth is, if you wear a stone because you think it looks nice, then wear the stone. But if you're wearing it because you think it does something spiritual for you, hmm. then then you're, you're in error. We should find our identity in Jesus Christ. That is how we know who we are, being made in the image of God in creation and then being remade into the image of Christ in sanctification. That is how we should be identified. We should be identified as people who follow Jesus. That's the stone. Mm. Rock of ages cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Yes. You know, be very sure your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. The stone that we should have mm. that makes us have a sense of well-being, a, a sense of significance, a, a sense of, of protection. You know, some stones are, are for protection. Um, the one who can heal us of our sicknesses, both physical and otherwise, that's the one stone, that stone hewn out of the mountain, uh, not by human hands. That's the stone, the one that was rejected by the builders, those original um, uh, Jewish leaders in Jesus' day that, that the Bible says Jesus has become the chief cornerstone. Mm. That's the stone we should wear, uh, so to speak, uh, in our lives that gives us identity and protection and healing. Mm. Uh, and that's that's. If you like the, the stone because it's pretty and it goes with your outfit, wear it. <laughs> you know, wear that. Uh, I'm not saying throw it away. I'm saying don't put your hope and your faith in it. Yeah, yeah. So, so now that we have actually started talking about that stone, that cornerstone, let's look at some biblical text. Yes. And think through what scripture says about crystals because it's not just us chopping no. it up. No, man. Uh, no. We we're definitely want to ground what we're saying in God's word. I want to make sure that we are um, looking at that, looking to that for our guidance here. So we're going to look at Proverbs verse eight. I'm at chapter eight, verse eleven, and all of these actually mention various crystals mm -hmm. in Scripture, mm -hmm. but none of them are ever mentioned as having healing properties. No healing properties. No protective properties. No spiritual properties at all other than symbolism they can symbolize something yeah we in proverbs 8 yep verse 11 really yep. 10 and 11 yeah i'll do 10 take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than go with choice for wisdom, go back to wisdom, right? Mm -hmm. Is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. So this is personification of wisdom. Mm -hmm. It happens early in the Proverbs, and we talked about this earlier, but Jesus himself is, is, is noted as wisdom from God in 1 Corinthians, right? Yep. So what the proverb is saying here is take these instructions rather than silver. Yep all these precious metals that my instruction and wisdom are better than all these things. Yeah. Like again, same thing. Why choose this <laughs> yeah. when you can have something that's better? Yep. Yep. And that's, you know, you, you, you look at this and you look at it at, as an economic um, reality better than these precious metals that are considered uh, valuable. Um, and then these jewels and, and the jewels in scripture, again, these are ancient practices. Uh, and so the proverb writer understands, uh, Solomon understands that he's not just talking about something economic, he's also talking about something idolatrous. Mm. Mm. Again, these ancient practices, and again, Israel did not exist in a vacuum. These, the scripture was not written in a vacuum. They were very aware of the cultures around them, and oftentimes they fell into the practices of the culture around them like many of us do today. And, and, and they 
fell into, many of them fell into this same kind of practice. And, and Solomon says, man, wisdom, again, this, the, 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 the big word is anthropomorphism. Mm-hmm. It, wisdom, this concept, this metaphysical concept is spoken of as, it, as if it is a person uh, in the feminine in Proverbs, yeah. which, I, which is very interesting that wisdom in, in Proverbs is, is a woman. Mm. And, and some, let me just chase this rabbit since I'm over here. Go ahead, <laughs> uh, some, some suggest that Solomon does this uh, because it is his mother Bathsheba who is the primary source of his teaching and, and his own wisdom. And, and that Bathsheba is the one who teaches Solomon uh, as they are both considered ostracized after his birth. Um, and that's why he's the wisest king that ever lived because he listened to his mama. <laughs> uh, but wisdom is, is personified in feminine. And it says, that's better. Knowing the proper application of knowledge is far better than holding courts or gemstone, whatever you have in your hand. Mm. Wisdom can create a better vibe than those rocks can. Yeah. yeah. And I think my wife would agree about that wisdom. <laughs> I think all wives and mamas are like, I know that's right, Reverend. Talk, Pastor. <laughs> <laughs> now you're talking good. <laughs> right. <laughs> so let's look also at uh, Lamentations, mm-hmm. uh, chapter 4, verse 7. And again, this is a mention of various crystals that uh, we have come to know. But again, there's no healing properties here. Mm-hmm. There's, there's nothing that ascribes any worth beyond them being beautiful here, right? Yeah. So Lamentations 4, uh, verse 7. Her princes were purer than snow, whiter than milk. Their bodies were more ruddy than coral. And beauty, the beauty of their form was like sapphire. So we see coral and sapphire in mm-hmm. this text just describing. It's more descriptive yeah. than anything else. Yeah. They're, they're used as um, the beauty of these um, minerals are used to describe the beauty of really Solomon's temple and the people of God that was being torn down by Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, and Babylon, and um, essentially, again, it affirms the fact that the purpose of many of these stones, that their pure purpose is just to be pretty. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Mm. yeah. 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 So I want to switch here for a moment. I want you all to write down Job 28, uh, verse number 19 for reference. But I want to talk about the high priest again. Mm-hmm. We we discussed it in the previous episode, but we really didn't get into the vestments and the garments too much. So I want to discuss that. We're going to look in Exodus 39, verses 10 through 13, and look at the priestly garment. And we'll find something interesting when it comes to crystals mm-hmm. and um, different elements in the priestly garment. Yeah. So uh, context around Exodus, we're talking about the, the everything that's in the tabernacle. Mm-hmm. It's just a description of everything that, that Moses is going through. And he gets to the end right before they're getting ready to uh, go in and, and do their thing, right? And so he gets to the priestly garment in 39, right before chapter 40, and he starts to describe the garment itself. Yes. And we're going to look in verse number 10 through 13. And this is on the garment itself, uh, on the breastplate, actually. Mm -hmm. It says, and they set in it four rolls of stone. A row of sardis, topaz, carbuncle, was the first row. And the second row, an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond. And the third row, jacinth, and a gath, and amethyst. And the fourth row, a barrel, and onyx, and jasper. They were enclosed in settings of gold filigree. Where I say I was going? 13? Mm-hmm. I'll stop there. Yeah. So don't pause this and start writing down where they are in the rows. We're not, we're not going to go <laughs> there. Yeah. But we do see a wide array of different crystals here on the breastplate of the high priest. Yeah. Now, what is the meaning of these? Do they have any significant meaning or do they have any spiritual implications or symbolism that we need to help folks understand? So let me read verse 14 also, John, because that, that helps us. Verse 14 says, there were 12 stones 
with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. There we go. They were like signets, each engraved with its name for the 12 tribes. Mm -hmm. These 12 jewels are not mystical or magical. They represent how precious the people of God are to God. Yeah, yeah. These precious, beautiful metals um, are... The, they, they are on the high priest so that as the high priest goes around doing the rituals, making the sacrifices, tending to the altar of incense, and even when he goes into the Holy of Holies to once a year on Yom, Yom Kippur on the Day of Atonement to offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people and put it on the mercy seat, he would have the people hmm. literally on his heart. Yeah, that's good. That the priest was to always understand that he was the representative of the people, um, that he was carrying their burdens and sins and prayers and wishes and hopes to God. And the precious nature of the stones hmm. was to talk about how precious the people of God were wow. to God himself. And, you know, you can read and look at <laughs> all kinds of sources that say, well, this represents that and that represents this. But it's just saying that you, like Israel, mm. are precious, yeah. that you're precious to God. Uh, when you see a beautiful stone and it's beautiful to you, then you should see how God sees you. Mm. That's good. That, that's, that's, that's the intent. That's, the, that's what that beauty is about. It is, it is for you to see in a in a tangible object how god sees you those especially who are uh who have been washed in the blood of the lord jesus christ like these elements we are all found in the dirt and the dust you know a diamond doesn't look like a diamond the diamonds we know when it's when it's mined out of the ground gold doesn't look like gold when it's mined out of the ground it has to be cleaned it has to be processed in the same way god knows your value to god and places us, washes us in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and then shines us up through sanctification um, to be the precious jewels that he considers us to be. And I think God knows us well, mm-hmm. because he didn't ascribe one of these precious jewels to a tribe. Mm-hmm. He didn't say, top left is going to be Judah. <laughs> right. <laughs> because... In knowing us, he'd know we'd say, hey, you know we at the top, right? Right, right, right. So there's this unifying component of all of these on the breastplate of the high priest telling them that you are my people collectively. Mm-hmm. Man, isn't that a message that we need today? With so much division and strife in our culture and society, especially among Christians, brothers yeah. and sisters in Christ, yeah, to know that we're all together there on that that breastplate of our high priest on his heart every single day and none of us have a more important place that we're we're all there together unified Mm -hmm. that jesus's high priestly prayer yes sir was that we all would be one yep just as he and the father are one how much have we fallen short of that standard as a body of christ and 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 the diversity of these jewels, mm-hmm. of these stones, yeah. that they're very different, but they all fit in the same breastplate. Yeah. Um, that, it, it, you know, the New Testament is going to bear this out. We have um, many gifts, but the same spirit. And, and Paul's going to say in 1 Corinthians 12, the eye can't say to the foot, I have no need of you. The foot can't say to the hand, I don't need you. Um, this idea that God intends diversity. Mm. that God has superintended creation. God has, has made creation intentionally to be diverse. Mm. Diversity is not the byproduct of different opinions or, 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 or different histories. It is a byproduct of divine intention. Mm. And because of that, uh, God, God sees that diversity in unity, that it's not uniformity, it's unity. Yeah. And, and knowing that I can be I can be a diamond, and you can be onyx, mm. but we fit together. Yeah, and the intentionality, mm. even in the New Testament, when you talk about the, the, the cornerstone and the stones, the God didn't call us bricks. We, we aren't all same-shaped, that, that we're stones, and somehow in the building of God, 
and the building of God's kingdom. These stones fit together, but are built on the chief cornerstone. Different shapes, different sizes, but somehow that building that's not made of man's hand, but mm. God's hand is fit together in unity. And it's, it's good to know that we don't have to be a brick people, mm-hmm. but God has called us to be stone people who are less laying and resting on that chief cornerstone. Yeah. And, 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 you know, we, we can, we can take this picture so far. Yeah. Uh, we can spend the rest of our time on this picture. I know we got to move <laughs> on, but you know, you, you look at those builders who, who creatively and successfully used stones, they were able to find those places where stones fit together. Come on. Um, they were able to find um, those, those, those stones that had ridges that were, that were opposite. And because of the, because of the fact they were opposite, that's why they were able to, to connect and hold together. And, and you see the genius of God in the way God builds the local church, like a church like St. Mark, and in the way God has built uh, the church universal through time and history and, and all people who have come to faith in Christ and all who will, that God knows how to fit us together mm-hmm. uh, with those things that we think make us different. That's actually what keeps us connected to one another. Mm. Yeah. And then speaking of the continuity of Scripture, right, mm-hmm. um, when we talk about the unity, God's Word even is a unified component, right? Yes. So, We've been looking at the Old Testament, and we've looked at this passage where we see these 12 stones, but they come up again. Yes. They come up again in Revelation. Y'all don't get scared. We're not about to get spooky. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I know folks don't preach on Revelation much, but this is important for us understanding these crystals because they come up again Mm -hmm. in the new heaven and the new earth and this new city that is built by God, and we see that in Revelation 21, and we're going to look at verses 19 through 21, 19 through 21. So this is talking about the walls of the city. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. Listen, the first was Jasper. Yep. Second, Sapphire. Third, Agate. Fourth, Emerald. Fifth, Onyx. Sixth, Carmelian. Seventh, Chrysolite. Eighth, Beryl. Ninth, topaz, twelfth, chrysophras, eleventh, jacinth, and twelfth, amethyst. So we got twelve jewels here on the wall of the city, uh, in, we, in, in the wall and foundation. Yeah, yeah, of the city. Yeah. So, so when we see these, as we saw on the breastplate of the priest, we see that them for that beauty again, mm-hmm. right? We see that this foundation of the wall has these these beautiful, beautiful um, jewels that folks um, in the city are able to see and recognize their beauty, uh, but the healing is not here. No. In the crystals. No, no. In, in fact, Let's talk about heaven's that. gonna have some healing yes, stuff. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> it, it's gonna have some healing things, um, but, but it's not it's not the crystals. It's not the minerals. Mm. Uh, it's it's going to be a tree, actually. Yeah. That's going to be uh, the healing element. And uh, when it's you look chapter at 22? chapter 22, uh, in verse 1, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, listen, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves on the tree were for the healing of the nations. So, so there are symbolic elements, and, and you know, Revelation is a prophecy and, and poetic prophecy, much in the way of the old covenant prophets, and, and there are things that we cannot exactly know what they represent and mean. Uh, we can see it, other parts of Scripture what they represent and mean, but, but, but we cannot say dogmatically that this is a literal, um, this is a literal thing. It, it represents something uh, we know. Um, but, but the water and the tree mm. and the fruit and the leaves, listen, the difference between the stones and these other things is that these things are alive. Hmm. Water is flowing. The tree 
is growing, the fruit is being born, and the leaves reflect um, that there is sap and nutrition within that tree. Mm. And, and God does not heal us through things that are dead. Mm. He, he heals us through things that are alive. Mm. And it's the living Lord, it's the, it's the living word, it's, it's living fellowship uh, that, that ultimately uh, result in our healing now. And then there's something alive over in heaven. Mm-hmm. And, and if a literal tree or a literal river or, or something that, rep, that it represents something else, whatever it is, it's moving, it's active, it's alive. And that is what we ought to be looking for. Uh, we should be looking for the living things, mm-hmm. the, the, the life-giving spirit of God, not some dead stone, inanimate object uh, to, to, to find our sense of identity and healing. Yeah, and that's very important because Scripture begins with the tree. Yeah. We've been redeemed on a tree, mm-hmm. and then we end Scripture with the tree yep. right here in the middle of the city. And I've always, that's always been just something that has blown my mind because God, when he created that tree in Genesis, he knew one day that the wood from the tree that he created mm-hmm. would hold up his son on the cross. Yeah. And he still did it. Yeah. He still did it. Yeah. So so God, knowing that in the beginning, decided that he was still going to create that because he had us in mind. Absolutely. In the creation account. Yeah. Yeah. And, and with the foreknowledge and the genius to say that this tree which for my son will be an instrument of death, mm-hmm. for my people it will be an instrument of life. Wow. And that's where we run to. <laughs> We don't run to the crystals, we run to the cross mm-hmm. to find life, mm-hmm. new life, and to find healing and hope in Jesus Christ. And that, friends, is why those things are so much less than what we have in Jesus. He is sufficient totally and completely uh, to save us, rescue us. And then to, to bring us to all that God has designed and desired us to be. And, and, and we look forward to, the, to that final tree mm-hmm. that, that, that flows uh, or that sits by that river that flows from the throne of God. So we want to tell y'all, if you want to focus on a stone, there's some candidates. <laughs> yes, sir. In Scripture. Yeah, yeah. There's some good stones to, to, wor- to, to worry yourself with. Yeah. That's specifically, I'm thinking about the stone that was rolled away. Yeah. From the tomb. Yeah. That, yeah. that that's a stone that you need to focus on in yeah. scripture. That that's that that one. It is evidence of, of of, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The verification that His sacrifice is fully sufficient. And John, God didn't roll the stone away, mm. so Jesus could get out. Come on. He rolled the stone away so we could look in. Yes, sir. Yeah, <laughs> he sir. was gone by the time that stone was rolled away. He wants us to be fully convinced. He wants us to be to have a concrete faith mm. that he who was dead is alive again. And 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 that's the stone. That's a good stone. That's a good stone. But then that stone we've talked about earlier, not just the one that that covered the tomb, but the one that stepped out of the tomb. Mm. Uh the the old uh preacher would say that uh they took a rock, laid it on a rock, in a rock and covered it with a rock. And then, uh, and then that rock uh, stepped off of the rock onto a rock and said, all power is in my hand. That's, that, that focusing on Jesus, mm. holding him in your hand, mm. laying him under your pillow at night, putting him on your skin in the middle of the day. And I don't mean on a, on a trinket or, or, or something physical. I mean grasping that he is with you as you rise, as you sleep, as you eat, as you work, as you parent, as you uh, live single looking for love, as you are trying to get that business off the ground, that Jesus himself is with you in all of your life's endeavors. Mm -hmm. And no, it does not take away the difficulty. No, it doesn't take away the challenges of life. It It doesn't eliminate every enemy right away. It doesn't guarantee quick and and easy success. But it guarantees a peace hmm. and a, an assurance that that you're not living your life by yourself. You've got a stone. Yes, sir. 
that you so, can hold on to. Mm. Yeah, I, th- I think those are good. Those, those are good candidates. Yeah, John. yeah, I think so too. And I think about. I always wondered why, how someone could lay on a stone mm-hmm. and sleep good. Mm-hmm. You know who I'm talking about? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm talking about my brother, the dreamer. Yes, sir. Who? Old laid, Jacob. Old Jacob. Laid on a stone and slept. And I'm just crazy enough to believe. Because as part of that dream, you see the angels. There's a ladder. Ladder. Yeah, Genesis 32. And what does Jesus say in the Gospels about that ladder? He talks about that, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so we see Jacob the dreamer laying on this stone and, and sleeping and, and having a dream. And I think that it is certainly for us just a demonstration of us being able to rest yeah. on something that's uncomfortable. Yeah. 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 Because Jesus ain't safe. No, sir. He no, ain't safe. He ain't comfortable, but you can rest. You can rest in it. Yeah. He says, take my yoke mm-hmm. upon me mm-hmm. and I'll impugn you and I will give you rest. And that yoke is, <laughs> I don't want to get into it, but that yoke there is talking about this dual the ox yoke. Double yoke. Right? And he's saying to you, if you take the yoke and you look to this side, I'm going to be carrying that. Yep. Not with you. For you, for you, and that—that's good news. Yeah, and and I, John, one more, one more stone mm. that we can think about. Um, the Bible says that we are living stones. Yes, sir. Mm. That that we are being built up into a house for God, and and the stone that was rolled away says the resurrection is real. The stone who is Christ assures us that we're not alone, but the stone of one another. Gives us fellowship and connection, a prayer partner, an accountability partner, what we call uh, the church, a community of, of people who have the same faith, who are lifting up the same Lord, that we've got one another. I, I, don't, need, I don't need quartz. I got brothers. I got sisters. I, I, got, I got a growth group or I got a Sunday school class um, that if I hold on to them, They can give me strength and they can give me hope. And maybe they know someone who has what I need or they have it themselves that 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 God has given us one another. Mm. And and that's why we don't that's why we can just look at these things and say, oh, that's pretty. But but the functional things are those stones we speak about now. The best way you can heal is in community. Yes. That's why Jesus created the church. That's why the local church is important because he created that as the vehicle for us as a community to be knit together together, and to heal together. That's why it's important for us when we say to folks, you need to be connected yeah. here at St. Mark. You need to be connected to a local church because the vehicle for community healing is the local church, despite her flaws. Absolutely. And, and listen, we, we run out of time, but, but, but that brings me to this truth and this reality. Listen, friends, your social media gurus and pastors will tell you, you've got to do the work of healing yourself mm. because we are hyper-individualistic, but that is not how God created us to be. We are not designed to do life alone, and healing is so much better when facilitated by community. Uh, God gives us, the best gift God gives us other than Jesus Christ is the gift of one another. Wow, wow. Let me ask you one more question because I know this is one that may be pressing in some folks' minds here. Mm-hmm. And that is the use of oils, mm-hmm. which is it's connected with this practice. Um, what about special oils and their effect on our bodies. Can I can I keep my oils? Yeah. And use them as what I consider a spiritual practice or how do I go about using some of these essential quote unquote oils? Yeah, you know, that's we got to we got to understand that there's some science to some things, but the science is not necessarily a spiritual result. Mm. Um there are oils from elements that 
do things physically for the body. Mm. Um, and if that's your use, if, it, if you're using it as something physically, uh, a, a scent that opens your airways and, or relaxes you, lavender relaxes, you know, that, those kinds of things. Uh, if you're using that, I think citrus is invigorating. It helps wake you up in the morning if you're using them for that kind of thing. Or, or you just want to make your house smell good or your body smell good. Hey, <laughs> slather yourself in oil. Um, but, but if you're thinking that a particular oil produces a particular result mm. spiritually, mm. Um, then, then that's, that's when it's in error. Uh, and even within the Christian church, we, we lay hands on people often uh, using olive oil. Well, the olive oil that, that's in, even after you've prayed over it, you know, you lay it under your mattress and you pray over it for a year and, and, and you pull it out and you start slathering your walls with it and all that. That oil physically can really only just like fry chicken or, or something like that. That's, that's what it physically, there's nothing in the physical oil itself. It's what it represents. It's symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And when we use it symbolically, it helps us to remember that the Holy Spirit uh, is with us and among us and within us. But if we think that the oil itself is doing it, uh, it, it ain't. It ain't. It's just oil. It's just oil. It, it'll, 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 it'll put a nice crust on your fish in your pan. <laughs> you know. Uh, but, but outside of that, even in the church, it, it's not the physical thing. It's, it's the spiritual thing. Yeah. Well, that's been episode three of the Growth Factor podcast, a broadcast ministry of the St. Mark Baptist Church here in Little Rock. We just told y'all to stay off the rocks. <laughs> and we do hope and pray that you hurt our hearts in knowing that we do have a stone that we can lean and depend on. I've been your co-host, Pastor John, here at St. Mark, and I'm here with my co-host, Senior Pastor, Pastor Philip L. Pointer. Senior, we're grateful for you all joining us. Next go-round, we're going to be talking about wishing on a star oh man and astrology and horoscopes Ooh so we look forward to talking about y'all's horoscopes <laughs> that y'all check every single day every day Lord. we're gonna get in some trouble but we're gonna get in some good trouble see y'all next go around make sure you come and subscribe rate our podcast we're grateful for you all tuning in and we look forward to seeing y'all next go around god bless this has been the growth factor a broadcast ministry of saint mark baptist church be sure to follow this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and join our Facebook group, The Growth Factor, for daily motivational content. Let's keep the conversation going. Thank you for listening.